Did you notice that that hymn we just sang is set to the tune of Oh Four Thousand Tongues? Isn't that precious? Think about that. Marriage and family, by God's design, is as a thousand tongues in the culture singing the praises of our God, singing the glories of his gospel. We're in Matthew 5 this morning, continuing our look at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, we'll begin reading with verse 27 in just a moment. And as you're turning to Matthew 5, I was thinking, preparing for this message about something that happened to Pam and I last winter. This is a safe one. I didn't ask you about it, but it's all good. (laughs) It's all good. I hope. Um, Now, Pam and I had our first experience last winter going to an escape room. Have you you heard about these places? Escape rooms. Uh, It's an odd thing, really. Our our daughter and son-in-law invited the, the adults in the family to this escape room experience downtown in Coeur d'Alene. And here, if you don't know what this is, here's the idea. You pay money for this, believe it or not. But you, you go into this room, and they lock you inside. And, and then you have to solve a series of clues um, in order to get out uh, within a certain amount of time. And again, you, you pay money for this. You do this willingly. And in and, and our room, uh, our escape room had sort of an Al Capone, Chicago prohibition uh, kind of theme to it. Every room has its own theme. And so there we were. Uh, six grown people um, pretending to blow up a safe and, and shoot Tommy guns at the walls, not at each other, um, looking for stashed loot and that sort of thing. It's sort of odd. But anyway, that, 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 that's an escape room. You, you, you go into the themed room and, and, and you, you're locked in and, and the clock starts ticking and everybody starts scrambling for clues, trying to figure out how do we get out of this thing? And if you're a normal person, you're wondering, how does that relate in any way to the Sermon on the Mount? Sadly, we live in a culture that brings an escape room mentality to marriage. You're locked in a lasting relationship And the theme is love, but the relationship begins to get difficult. There are pressures, and life's clock is ticking, and the pressure is such that people often start asking themselves, how do do we get out of this thing? They went into the marriage vowing, till death to us part. Uh, But now, in light of all that's happened in the relationship, real stuff, difficult things, this marriage is forever ideal is set aside for the sake of personal preference or self-fulfillment or any of a myriad of other purposes, some of which we'll consider this morning. We live in a culture whose view of marriage is that of the escape room. How do we get out of this thing? 
In the Sermon on the Mount, King Jesus declares to us the way of life in his kingdom. He calls his people to show the watching world what it looks like when men and women stop playing games with marriage. In particular, says the king, stop looking for loopholes in the moral law that is God's blueprint for the lives of his redeemed people. Reverence for marriage reflects reverence for God. Now, let me just let a little bit of the air out of the room. Um, Marriage, divorce, remarriage, adultery, um, these are very sensitive matters very painful matters for many of our families. And I pray that we're encouraged this morning that our Bible does not shy away from sensitive, difficult matters. Our opinions about sensitive things, our strong feelings about difficult things must be subordinate to the words of our king. Amen? Opinions and feelings aside, God's word is the best and the last word on marriage. In marriage, God brings two people together for his glory. Now, that's a bit of a wind-up, I know. By now, you've had plenty of time to find Matthew 5, 27. Let's just hear the words of our king. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, Cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. These are the words of our king. Notice the word in verse 31, furthermore. Jesus' teaching on divorce here in Matthew 5 is inextricably linked to his teaching Uh, that just precedes it about adultery and lust. Don't don't miss that context. Remember that the legalistic Pharisees and scribes of Jesus' day taught God's people that as long as you didn't technically, physically commit the act of adultery, that's sexual relations with someone you're not married to, um, you were not in violation of the seventh commandment. Remember, the seventh commandment is the one that says, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, says the king, God's moral law has always been a matter of the heart. 
is not just to do with the outward actions. It's to do with the heart. That means your thoughts matter to God. That means my private imaginings matter to God. They're meant to be placed under the rule of King Jesus. What what is this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is inaugurating with his coming to this earth? It's the reign or rule of heaven's king, isn't it? It, It's where the king's will is obeyed. It's where heaven's king is honored and followed and served and trusted absolutely and, and instinctively. It's where he's followed willfully and joyfully by his people. This is the new beginning that God has promised his elect people. So we could say this, Christian marriage is lived out under the reign of King Jesus. If you are a married person, please know that before your marriage is yours, it is God's. Marriage is God's. It's to do with his glory. Now that's the broader message of Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Remember, it's a corrective to what was happening in the culture in Jesus' day. What, what was happening in the culture? Well, again, verse 31, furthermore, it has been said. I know, I know you all have heard this stuff. Furthermore, it has been said, says Jesus, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. You see, the legalists of Jesus' day went around teaching people that when marriage became like an escape room, when the man began to think to himself, how do I get out of this thing? All he needed to be concerned with was getting a little certificate of divorce. So never mind God's design for marriage. Just make sure you've got your little piece of parchment and off you go to someone else. So Jesus is saying to the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, but, but to the people who had been taught by them, all the little boys masquerading as men who followed this false teaching, hey guys, stop playing games with your marriage. You still listening? Amen. This perversion of the institution of marriage was devastating to women and children in particular. Men had divorce rights in that culture. Women did not. And these divorces were eroding the cornerstone of community, which is what? The family. Still today, in our land of so-called no-fault divorce, how many of you know man came up with that? That is not God's construct In an age of no-fault divorce, divorce for any reason whatsoever, how many of you know the cornerstone of community, family itself, is eroded? Listen, the biblical design for family, one man married to one woman for life, bringing up children in the the security and, and shelter of that permanence, 
cannot be discarded without painful, long-lasting consequences. I wonder how many of our families in this room today, we know all about painful, long-lasting consequences, don't we? This has touched so many of us. And and it may help us to be reminded that we're hearing the words of our king, the most compassionate man who has ever walked planet Earth. We'll come back to that. In this room this morning, many of us know all about these consequences. Thanksgiving and Christmas will be weird. Once again, for some of our families and the weirdness of a holiday gathering is, is, the, is the tiniest part of the pain of all of this stuff. And it begs the question, you still with me? It begs the question, how did the scribes and the Pharisees, the professional religious guys, how did they end up being the champions of what was essentially the ancient world's version of no-fault divorce? How how did they pull it off, religious as they were? Well, well, they pulled it off the same way people pull it off today. They simply reinterpreted the Mosaic law to suit their selfish purposes. And and so I want us to just look at the, 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 not the law itself, but the the case law, if you will, the, the law code in Deuteronomy 24 that was cited in this business about adultery and divorce. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 1. I'm just enjoying my favorite sound, the pages of your Bibles rustling. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out out of his house. When she has departed from his house and and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her as his wife, then the... You still following? Then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now that's all perfectly clear. We should just close in prayer. And No. What is this about? This is in your Bible. What in the world is this even about? Marriage had become a revolving door through which men entered and exited at will. Driven by their own lusts, driven by their own preferences, whatever made them happy. Again, men had divorce rights, women did not. And women were being used, cast off, taken back, then sent out again. So this this law code keep this in mind, was not given to commend divorce. That's the way a lot of people read it today. It's not given to commend divorce. It was given to protect women and children from this sort of abuse. 
This marriage as a revolving door sort of thing. Instead, what happened? Well, many men, with the sanction of their rabbis, twisted the law's meaning in order to keep this revolving door spinning. Notice the word uncleanness in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 24. Turns out that's important. If she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. The word uncleanness literally means nakedness. It's referring to the shame of adultery, the, the, the moral uh, uncleanness of adultery. In other words, the, the divorce certificate was permitted, not commended, not commanded, but permitted only in the credible case of adultery. Because in adultery, a marriage union is broken. The, the, the sexual intimacy that celebrates God's union of one man to one woman for life is not to be shared with others. Jesus has just said that in the Sermon on the Mount. And when that sacred union is violated, the, the union itself is violated. Now, in Jesus' day, you can imagine, just like our day, people had lots of different views and opinions of this stuff. There are lots of views and opinions of this stuff right now bouncing around this room, I promise you. And you all know that the one that's in your head is the right one, right? You're praying for everybody else. Here's what was happening in Jesus' day. There were two rabbinical schools of thought about this stuff, Deuteronomy 24. The school of Shammai rightly regarded God's law. In other words, uncleanness in Deuteronomy 24 means sexual infidelity. Proven, not trumped up. Okay? The school of Hillel, however, interpreted uncleanness to mean any cause of complaint. If she displeased him, he didn't like the way her, her hair is now. It's not like, it wasn't like that when they got married. She keeps burning the food or not cooking it enough. Any complaint he could think of could be interpreted to mean uncleanness. So long as you handed her the divorce certificate. Again, it's the parchment that matters, not the heart of God for marriage. What a reminder for us today. How many of you know that what is legal and what is moral are not necessarily the same thing? So which school of rabbinic thought do you suppose the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day went with? Well, they did what men and women today do. They bounced from counselor to counselor until they found the one who affirmed what they wanted to hear and were going to do anyway. Can you imagine such a culture where people pretending to seek the wisdom of God would bounce from counsel to counsel to counsel until they heard what they wanted to hear, until they were validated and what they'd already decided to do. It's a shame these things aren't practical to us, isn't it? Well, the Pharisees went with the school of Hillel, the, the divorce for any reason as long as you have your parchment, guys. 
In fact, later in Matthew's gospel, the Pharisees actually confront Jesus. Remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching to men and women and children, perhaps on this hillside in Galilee. Later in Matthew 19, we'll see the Pharisees actually confronting Jesus. And when they do so, they actually betray their hearts with respect to marriage. Look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19. And I'm just going to read for us verses 3 through 9. It will help you to follow along, though. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9. The Pharisees also came to Jesus, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, why would they ask it that way? Because that's pretty much what they've been teaching people. And that's pretty much what was going on in the, in the, the culture. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then... They are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, then, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce? They're they're, they're referring to Deuteronomy 24. Why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Let me just stop there and remind us that when we looked at Deuteronomy 24, Moses didn't command divorce at all. That, that, that was not a command. Okay? Jesus says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. See, this this revolving door of no-fault divorce was creating serial adultery in the community. And it was destroying families, the the, the cornerstone of community. And, and, And here's the kicker for us. No-fault divorce is an offense to God who gives the gift of marriage for his glory. Marriage is to do with the glory of God, first and foremost. We okay? So in Matthew 19, Jesus takes the Pharisees not back to the law code, Deuteronomy 24. He takes them all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 2. Jesus is quoting from Genesis 2. Marriage is a creation ordinance. Just just like work and rest are creation, you know, constructs of creation. People today say, well, work, that's the result of the fall. No, it is not. Work is a good thing. It's one of those things that God made and said, hey, it's good. It's good. Same with marriage. Um, Marriage is instituted by God to be a lifelong union between one man and one woman 
which excludes every other relationship. And you say, well, these are modern times, aren't they? Nobody really takes marriage that seriously anymore. You know what? God does. Marriage is so precious to God, he looks at each marriage and says to us, this is mine. This is mine. It's sacred to God and it's sacred to us as a church. Why? Because marriage reflects who God is. Think of what's happening in a marriage. The perfect love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Pure love, undistracted, concentrated love is reflected in this marriage of one man to one woman for life. In marriage, this, this one man, this, this one woman, enabled by the Holy Spirit, are, are enabled to reflect the kind of love that exists in the Trinity. So that, that sounds like a pretty big deal, doesn't it? Yeah. It is. Do we perfectly reflect this love? Said the pastor whose wife is sitting in the front row. (laughs) Um, Of course not. Of course not. Far from it. (laughs) In fact, Adam and Eve not only hid from God in their sin, they hid from each other, didn't they? (coughs) Fig leaves and all of that. Their sin messed up their relationship with God and messed up their relationship with one another. But here's the thing, and you might want to write this one down. The absence of perfection in marriage does not erase God's principle of permanence in marriage. Why, why say that? I mean, I mean, why belabor that? Because we live in a culture that wars against this. Because the enemy of souls who does not want the gospel reflected in marriage militates against this. <coughs> so what do we say then as a church for, for married people encountering great difficulties? I remember saying um, more than once here, you know, the only people I know of who don't have marriage difficulties are unmarried people, all right? In marriage, God is bringing two sinners together. So for married people encountering great difficulties, the, qu- the first question is never, how can I get out of this thing? You know, the, the escape room mentality. The, the question must always be, How should I conduct myself in this marriage that belongs to God? How will God be glorified in my conduct in this marriage, even as it experiences great difficulties? Hayden Bible Church, let's be a people who ask, how will we best glorify God in marriage? This relationship that ultimately is his, given by him for his glory. 
Let's not be that church that by practice justifies the escape room mentality. Marriage is not disposable. Relationships in the kingdom are not disposable. It's meant to be permanent as it's lived out with God's own intimate involvement, intimate enablement. How many of you know that marriage by God's design brings great joy? Can we acknowledge that? How many of you know marriage is a construction site for Christ-likeness? It, it is probably the, the, the single relationship in your life, if you're a husband or a wife, where, where you're most aware of this construction that is happening. God loves you enough to chip off all the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. Turns out there's a lot. Says who? Your spouse. <laughs> So the king says to his people, stop looking for loopholes, would you? Stop, stop being those people who are always looking for a way out of this thing. And he says, I know you've been taught this way. I, I know the culture is going this way. Verse 32 of, of Matthew 5. But I say to you, again, this is, these are the words of our king. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, the most compassionate man who has ever lived, King Jesus, looks across this, this multitude of men and women made in the image of God on this hillside out in Galilee, some of them deeply hurt by this long-standing escape room mentality that existed with respect to marriage. And he says what? You all are the salt of the earth. Stop the decay. Stop the rot in this world by honoring marriage as the gift from God that it is. You are the light of the world. Shine into the darkness of disposable relationships in this world. The darkness of, of using people for pleasure and fulfillment and then discarding them when you've had your fill. Honor marriage as the very reflection of your marriage to Christ your King. Now, I think it would be best to acknowledge the elephant in the room. When there's an elephant in the room, somebody might as well point it out and ride it around for a while, right? We don't need to just move on. But what is the elephant in the room? Well, the elephant in the room was the same one that we encountered when Jesus confronted us with, with lustful thoughts being an offense to God. The law is doing its work. And the elephant in the room is what? Many here this morning has been, have been touched by divorce, have been touched by separation. Uh, many here have, have been divorced and remarried. 
I have this in my own extended family, as some of you know. And I, and I mention that to acknowledge that these can be extremely difficult, extremely painful, and extremely complicated situations in life. We don't pretend that that's not the case. We don't, we don't want to be the church that pretends none of that stuff ever goes on. In the Sermon on the Mount, King Jesus is describing life in the kingdom. Obeying Jesus' teaching on the law is not how we get saved. Obeying Jesus' teaching on the law is not how we stay saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ's obedience to the law. Amen. Christ's sin-atoning death for all of our law-breaking, Christ's resurrection to eternal life, this life is ours. He shares this victory over sin with us. Remember, Matthew 1, call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. What kind of sins? All kinds. All kinds. So the king is not preaching this sermon to condemn divorced people. To, to, to condemn former adulterers, to condemn anyone who's ever had a lustful thought, if you remember last week's message. He's making a statement about marriage in spite of the way marriage is viewed in the culture. In other words, this is the view of marriage that God's people are meant to uphold and celebrate and with God's help by the Spirit live out. For his glory. Life in the kingdom is how saved people live in the power of the Spirit. So, so this is the view of marriage that this church must have of marriage. This is not a marriage as a revolving door kind of church. And we who are married live it out, however imperfectly in the power of the Holy Spirit. And how many of you know that with the Spirit, there is joy? With the Spirit, there is that glad sense of walking in God's ways. Being a recipient of His grace to reflect His image to the world, something we could not possibly do as unredeemed people. Faithfulness in marriage, perseverance and permanence in marriage is how Christians are meant to live in God's world with God's enablement for God's glory. Now, we could just stop there, but I, I trust you understand that's not going to happen. Um, let me just mention some asides. Are you okay? Let me just mention some asides that come up, though they are apart from the text. I want to be careful with this, but let me just come up with some asides that, or, or address some of these things that, that would naturally come up in our thinking. At Hayden Bible Church, um, would we then condone a man or a woman being victimized in an abusive marriage for, for the sake of permanence, the permanence view of marriage, physical, mental, emotional abuse? No. 
The, the God who hates divorce hates abuse. The God who hates divorce hates oppression. The God who hates divorce <laughs> hates all sin. Okay? And he calls us as his church to stand against abuse and oppression. So abuse and oppression, hiding out in the sanctity of marriage, is a sin that God intends to root out of his church. Does that make sense? With God's help, we want to come alongside the oppressed. We want to come alongside the abused with real help. But, but, that does not necessarily mean that divorce must be the response. Remember, these are the words of our king. Our default setting, church, is to honor and protect marriage. Amen? Notice that Matthew 5 does not deal in great detail with remarriage after divorce. It simply states that, it, that divorcing for the wrong reason creates serial adultery when the, when the divorcees marry you know, another who is not um, their husband or wife. But the Bible does deal with this remarriage issue elsewhere, doesn't it? Remarriage after a permissible divorce is allowed. Is it commanded? No. Is it allowed? Yes. Notice also that Matthew 5 does not deal with abandonment by an unsaved spouse, making divorce permissible. But the Bible elsewhere does deal with this very thing. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says to the church in Corinth, If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. In fact, biblically speaking, in, in, you know, wherever divorce is allowed, which is a, is a narrow thing, um, adultery, abandonment, so is remarriage allowed. Why do I mention it that way? Because what we're seeing here in Matthew 5 and what we'll see again in Matthew 19 when we, when we get to that passage and, and squeeze it a little harder, God neither commands divorce nor commends divorce. Don't, don't think that. My spouse has been unfaithful, she says. I have to get a divorce. God commands divorce. No, he does not. She's abandoned me. He says, God wants me to be divorced. That, that is not what the scripture is saying. God neither commands divorce nor commends divorce. No fault divorce is an offense to God. It is the very rot in the culture that kingdom people are meant to stop from spreading any further. No-fault divorce gives birth to the very darkness that the church is meant to shine light into. The light of brokenness, broken families, broken homes, and by extension, broken communities. So let me just give you this statement based on the scripture we're looking at. And, it, and, it's, a, and it's a bit wordy. And if you can shorten it, pat yourselves on the back, that would be a wonderful thing. 
Divorce is an allowance due to human weakness only when the marriage bond has been broken by adultery or abandoned by an unbelieving spouse. And you're thinking to yourselves probably, well, good heavens, this is tedious and um, we just, aren't we having a Thanksgiving dinner this afternoon and we've, we've got Christmas all over the front stage and, and what, 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 is this, what is this really to do with? Why so formal? Because people ask this stuff, that's why. And God's word has answers for the very difficult, painful, complex issues of life. We stand on the sufficiency of scripture. Amen? This is not a church where we say, oh yeah, well God doesn't really deal with that stuff. Oh, he deals with it. He loves us that much. Let me just end with this. And and by way of caution, let me just say it's a long ending, okay? But let let me just end with this. Don't pack up just yet. Um, Jesus, Jesus is giving us the narrow way of the kingdom that is the gospel way. It's as narrow as the cross of Christ, right? And, and, and the gospel way is that narrow way that keeps us away from these two pitfalls we've been talking about. Uh, the, the first pitfall is, is legalism, right? The Pharisees and the scribes were the, you know, divorce for any cause as long as you've got your parchment, guys. Um, legalism says then, if you're a divorced person, you're not right with God and you're a second-class Christian. How many of you know that is not the gospel at all? Don't, don't go there. Individually or in, with respect to how you view another person. We, we'll not treat divorcees as second-class Christians in this church. Amen? Divorce is not the sin that Jesus forgot to atone for while he was atoning for all of the rest of his people's sins. Can we, okay? Divorce is not God's best, but divorce is not an unforgivable sin. Remember, the king is teaching these things not to point a condemning finger at people who already know they don't measure up to God's law. The king has come to marry himself to the worst of sinners, people like me, forgiving them through the power of his shed blood at Calvary. If you've divorced wrongly and neither you nor your former spouse have remarried, God would have your heart remain open to reconciliation. But listen, if you or, or your former spouse has, has sort of moved on, if you will, remarried, then marriage restoration to that, that first relationship is no longer relevant. You need to trust uh, that any sin is freely pardoned based on the merits of Christ's work for you. Praise God for the blood of our Lamb. You're not a second-class Christian. Don't let anybody tell you that. All divorce is caused by sin, but listen, not all divorce is sinful. What do I mean by that? Some of you, dear ones, are here today. You didn't choose divorce, though you are divorced. You, you, you didn't choose for your former spouse to be 
unfaithful to you? All divorce is caused by sin, but not all divorce is sinful. Says who? Says the king. So so we want to stay away from the pitfalls of legalism on one side, but we also want to stay away from the pitfall of license. And if it seems like I keep picking at this one in particular, it's simply because of the culture that we live in, the escape room culture. License says if you're considering divorce, don't worry about it. You're a grace person. Just make sure it's all legit. Make sure it's legal. Um, Look for the loophole. Friends, that's not the gospel either, is it? That's not the narrow way that leads to life. The question you must ask when marriage gets difficult, unfulfilling by some selfish human measure, is not how do I get out of this thing, but how will I glorify God in this relationship? How will the power of the gospel I trust for my eternal life also be trusted in this brief life as I live for God's glory? In other words, what does my part of this marriage look like under the reign of King Jesus? I told you it wasn't a quick ending. But we're circling the runway now, aren't we? Friends, let's not be the kind of church where we're scandalized by each other's sins, where we're scandalized by the scars of someone else's sin that remain in our lives. Can we just agree to that? The scandal ought to be that we pretend otherwise, the Pharisees. The scandal ought to be that we live as if it doesn't matter, live as if sin doesn't matter. That's the licentious person, right? Neither is the gospel way. The gospel that saves is a gospel that approaches sin head on and says, you know what? This sin separates you from God. But this sin was placed on another in your place at Calvary. This king, this Jesus, came to this world and lived out the very law of God that we're confronted with in this Sermon on the Mount. And then he went to that cross and he shed his blood for every lustful, adulterous, divorcing thought bouncing around in the heads of his people. And he said, they're mine. I'm married to them. And how many of you know this is a lasting marriage? How many of you are glad this morning that the king never says to his people, I'm done with you? The king never says to his people, you're separate from me. What grace? What grace? Well, I'm trying to end this thing. Here it is. One one last thought. Marriage between a man and a woman committed to the king reflects his commitment to his people. This, this is, um, boy, that's a lot of words too, isn't it? That, that, this is salt and light stuff. This is how the watching world of Hayden and Coeur d'Alene and even in, in you know, the, the, the other countries like Athol and, and places like that, <laughs> this is where the watching world sees the Christian marriage, not that it's perfect, 
but sees something of the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Radical forgiveness, radical self-giving love, radical patience and perseverance, all of it enabled by the Spirit of God. What a witness this is to the escape room mentality of this world that we live in. Do you know why I called this message Together for God's Glory? I wish I had said this at the onset because everybody in this room who isn't married checked out. But let me, let me just encourage you to check back in. Um, the reason it, it, the Lord put it on my heart to call this Together for His Glory uh, is that every church member, married or not, has skin in the game. We need to be a church that honors marriage as the gift from God that it is. And so those of us who are older Christians, you decide what that means. Those of us who are older Christians, and, and, and we see our, 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 our teenagers you know, pairing up and, 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 and they're, they're trying to discern God's best for them. Are they meant to be married to so-and-so or such-and-such? Um, we're meant to be a help. We're meant to be an encouragement to them about God's design for marriage. And let's just say, I'm just spitballing here, but let's just say you're the kind of person who knows other married people. And they come to you and say, hey, Fred, you're never going to guess what Wilma's doing now. In fact, I'm just hoping against hope that the whole town of Bedrock doesn't find out about this. You, listen, you, if you're Barney, or you're, who was the other one? Betty. If you're Barney or Betty, God would have you say, look, we need to run to the king. We, we, we need to run to Jesus first and foremost because if you bounce around to earthly counselors or even those who pretend that they're using the word of God and they give you this escape room garbage, there's got to be some way you can get out of this thing. You are not hearing the voice of God. Amen. And we want to be, by God's enablement, wise, compassionate counselors in this way. Amen? Amen? Okay, well, that, that's it. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you so much for the clarity of your truth. We thank you that by your spirit it cuts, cuts us to the quick. It, it, it gets right to our hearts. And Lord, we thank you that your word does not shy away from the difficult and complex things of daily living in a fallen world. We thank you, Father, that you have sent us a king who has rescued us from sin's penalty and is rescuing us even now in real time from the fragrance of sin that remains in our lives, Lord. You do this in all of our relationships, but in particular, marriage, Lord, is that great sanctifying site, that great construction site where your people are conformed more and more to the image of your son. Thank you for this, Lord. Help us to honor marriage as you do, the gift that it is. And Lord, help us to live out our marriages in a manner that brings glory to our King. We ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake.